Thank you, thank you. Please be seated. Oh, you know, when you get this age, memories just start coming. And especially when you see people you haven't seen in a long time. And so many precious, precious memories of things that we've done together and uh, the work of God. And some of you, uh, we've been connected with so long. Oh, it's so good to see Frank and Lou here tonight. I should call him Bishop, but it's Frank and Lou to us. Because uh, we've, uh, we've seen some things. I was just telling somebody today, their son Franklin and our son Jonathan were great friends when they were little. We were attending Muse Memorial Church. And one Sunday in children's church, they asked if any of the children had a special song. And so the Tunstall child and the E.B. child volunteered to sing a song. Well, I'm sure they were thinking we were such spiritual parents that, you know, they were ready to do anything in the work of the Lord. Franklin and Jonathan stood up and sang the Budweiser beer commercial. (laughs) Oh, God. Jim said it was Franklin's fault. (laughs) So memories like that. And, of course, you would need to talk to Brother Woody Stevens to hear how he raised a dog from the dead. Uh, So lots of memories that uh, we hold very dear to us. Now, you young folks, you sort of have to indulge us because memories are precious. They remind us where we've come from, what God has done. And I was thinking just a little bit earlier, I'm kind of short to be back there. Uh, I, I was thinking about the various things I've gone through in my life and the various things I have experienced and of what value are they? I will tell you that tonight I can say when trials come, when difficulties come, I am better able, not a hundred percent yet, but I am better able to say none of these things move me. Because I remember what God has done. And I believe that he will do it again. What he did then, he is still doing now. And he's going to see us safely to the shore. We don't have to worry about that. A few, uh, Many years ago, our children were small. It was back in the days that an oil crunch had come similar to what we're having now. And there were dire predictions about how the economy in the United States was going to fail. And they were saying everybody needs to get stockpiles of food. And I was looking at my children. We had gone to, uh, I believe it was Independence, Kansas. No, maybe it's Wichita to preach, and uh, we were visiting in that church. I had one child in a stroller, the other two hanging on my skirt tail, 
And I was walking on the sidewalk, going up to the church. And I was thinking in my mind, Lord, what would I do if an economic crash came and we couldn't buy food for our children? This is the honest truth. As I walked, a bird flew overhead and a slice of white bread fell out of its mouth at my feet. God quickly gave me an answer that there is more than one way. God is not governed by an economy. God is not governed by oil prices. God is not governed by politics. I am tired of hearing people say, what's going to happen Who's going to be president? I don't know who's going to be president, but I know who is king of kings and lord of lords, and I don't have to be afraid. My citizenship is tonight where it's always been, and that's in the kingdom of God. Okay, let me find my notes. It's no guarantee I'll stay with them, but... I want to impress you anyway. (laughs) I have to take time to mention some special guests that are here. You know, it's quite an honor when you can get kinfolks to come and listen to you preach. I mean, they know whether you're worth listening to or not. And they can tell you a few things. But three of my aunts are here tonight, and if you all don't mind, I don't want to embarrass you, but I will anyway. Would you all stand up? I want to tell you something. (laughs) Dorothy, thank you. Dorothy Weston was one of the most influential women in my life that stirred a hunger in my heart to live for Jesus. She gave me my first Bible, and I have just, I have always had a close connection in my heart to her. Bonnie and Vera, my other two aunts, I've watched them walk through deep, dark valleys in their lives, and they come out victorious every time because they know the God whom they serve. And I'm so glad you all came tonight. Thank you for coming. Okay, would you give me that bottle of water, please? I think I got a little nervous tonight. I told Jim... (coughs) I said, you know, these old timers that come don't make me nervous. It's these young folk. Because I know they're sitting out there thinking, what's that old gray-haired woman got to say to me? (laughs) Well, let me tell you something. I know a few things more than you do. (laughs) I've walked a few miles. You haven't walked. So if you'll listen up, guys and gals. You just might learn something. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Oh, by the way, one other thing I've got to tell you. 
if you were here today and you heard the story of the 51 Chevy and the 54 Ford, and you think Jim was so devoted to me that he drove that car that was held together with bailing wire to come and see me, he didn't tell you what kind of car I had. I had a brand new 1964 Chevy Impala, white with red interior. You think he was just driving from Norman to Sepulpa just to see me? He wanted to drive my new car. <laughs> so that's the rest of the story, folks. But um, I knew how to get my man. <laughs> As parents, have you ever made a speech something like this? And you make this speech around report card time. And you have the children around you and you say, now listen guys, I really don't care if it's A's. Jim never said that, but we often say, I don't care if you make A's or even if you make B's, just so you do your best. Has any parent ever said that? Any parent? Okay. Pretty good parent speech. Because we're wanting to speak encouragement. We're wanting our children to do their best. However, it may be a good speech for human parents. But God has never made that speech to us. Now, you, I, you don't know whether to say amen or not, do you? What are you talking about? God has never said our best is good enough. He has always asked us to do more than we are able to do. And why? Why does he say your best is not good enough? Because every time he has given a task to any one of us, he's always added the sentence to that task and said, I will be with you. He's never said, I want you to go build a church or I want you to preach a revival or I want you to do a jail ministry or I want you to heal the sick or I want you to do this or that and just do your best. He never said it. He said, I want you to do it and I want you to be fruitful when you do it. While I speak tonight, I'm going to interweave some stories from our own lives because I think story is where we have real authority. I think what we have walked through in our own lives is probably the only place we really can say, I know this to be true because it's worked, it is working in my life, and I believe it will 
and yours as well. So I want to just interweave some illustrations, perhaps from our own lives, but also from the scriptures. Let me give you four uh, Old Testament examples where God asked people to do more than they could do. What about Noah? Now, I'm not turning to these scriptures because you know those scriptures and you can find them and read them, but I'm referring to them because I want to go on and read something else to you in just a little bit. Noah, God said, I want you to build an ark. And in Hebrews, he said, Noah built the ark for the saving of households. But he told Noah to do a job he had no knowledge of. He didn't know what an ark was. He didn't know what rain was. He didn't know what a flood was. But what did he do? He started cutting down trees so he could build an ark. He had no knowledge of it, but God asked him to do more than he could do. Now, Abraham, this is an interesting one. He said, I want you to find pleasure in your wife again so she will have a child. And Abraham said, that's a little more than I can do because I'm 100 years old. But God was telling Abraham and Sarah, do more than you can do. Don't just do your best. I want you to do what I'm telling you to do. Moses, God said to him, and I want to turn to this in Exodus. I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. A population of about one million people. And God says, I want you to bring them out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, God said, I will certainly be with you. That is a guarantee that you can do the task. I will be with you. At the age of 14, it was in the month of January before I turned 15 in uh, July, I had gone home from school in the afternoon. My mom was not there, and I was feeling God just stir my heart. As a young teenager, I was hungry for God. I was passionate for him. I wanted to do something for him, 
And I decided instead of doing my homework, and this wasn't a homework cop-out, but I decided to pray. And I got on my knees. I can still see the old uh, turquoise-colored chair that I was kneeling by. And I still remember the texture of the fabric as I buried my face in that chair. And I said, Lord, here I am. What can you do with me? Now, we had on our coffee table what many uh, good Christians in those days had. It was one of those little plastic bread loaves. Anybody remember that? And it had little promises sticking down in it. Well, I got up from my prayer time. I went over, pulled one of those cards out, and began to read it. Jeremiah 1.5. And the Lord said to Jeremiah, Behold, I will make you a prophet to the nations. And go and I will teach your mouth what you will say. And Jeremiah said, But, O Lord, I am but a child. And God said to him, I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what to say. I was just simple enough and I was just hungry enough for God that I was willing to say, okay, God, I guess that means me. If you want me to preach your word, I will preach your word. That was on a, um, I believe it was on a Monday And by Tuesday, I received a call from a little church in town saying, I wonder if you would come and speak for our youth group. I have no idea how anybody knew that I accepted the call to preach. But I went to that little church on a Thursday night to speak to the youth group. Four days after hearing the call of God in my heart, And as I went to that church, I remember the day that I was telling God all day long, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't know how to preach. I couldn't even spell theology. But God said, go and I will go with you and I will teach you what you will say. I had one scripture verse to read. I stood up that night, read that one verse. I talked about three to five minutes and finished. And I thought, well, now what do I do? And I remembered every sermon I saw, there was an invitation given. So I said, okay, I'll do it. I had no idea that anybody listened. But I gave the invitation And one young man got up and walked down the aisle, knelt at the altar, and gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Fast forward 35 years. I go back to uh, Sepulpa. I'm in a different church. I'm ministering there. And a man, a middle-aged man, walked up and put his hand out. And he said, are you Peggy Ward? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am. He said, I don't know if you remember me, but the night you preached your first sermon, I got up and came to the altar and gave my life to Jesus. And he said, let me tell you, now my children, my whole family is following God. That night... I did something more than was humanly possible for me to do. 
It was at my best. It was God with me, taking what I offered to him, and he multiplied it and did something that had influence that reached others. God will never tell you, just do your best, because he always adds on it, I will certainly be with you. When you hear the call of God, as Jim was preaching last night, when you hear that, don't just factor in your gifts, your abilities, your experience, your training. Don't just factor those things in. Factor in the power of a holy God who says that he would send the Holy Spirit and he would be with us and he would dwell in us. He would teach us everything we needed to know and he would empower us to do everything that we needed to do. Humanly speaking, if you look at this congregation tonight, by and large, we're not especially impressive. Nobody's on magazine covers that I know of. Nobody is written up in who's who. Well, actually, my husband said, who's who, but he had to pay for it. <laughs> Did you ever get one of those phone calls? Oh, your name will be in who's who of young men of America. And you're flattered. Well, thank goodness, somebody finally noticed. And then for only $79.95, we will send you this wonderful book, Who's Who in America. Oh, well. Anyway, but by and large, we are not overly impressive. Many of us in this congregation have gray hair, and some of us kind of grunted when we got out of the car tonight. Took us a few steps to get straightened up. But God is not asking us to just do what we can do. He is asking us to do what he calls us to do. And he says, I will certainly be with you. I will certainly go with you. Another example in the Old Testament is a Gideon. Who, whom God spoke to and said, go, I want you to save my people from the hand of the Midianites. And again, an excuse came. Have you noticed? God did not appreciate excuses. Some of us get a mistaken idea that we can, when God calls us to do something, and we can just say, oh, Lord, not me, because I really can't do that. And we expect him to pat us on the back and say, oh, I know it. I guess I just goofed. You're so sweet, honey. It's all right. I, I just didn't get that one right. God does not tolerate those kinds of excuses. How could he when he says, I have put my power within you. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body. He will quicken your mind. He will empower your gifts 
to do what he's asked you to do. No excuses. No excuses. He won't listen to them because he knows what he can do. And he knows what he will empower you to do. As I told you yesterday morning, at the age of 52, I decided to go back to college, finish my degree. I had been through a dark, dark valley in my life, and I decided I'm going to go back to school. This is the next step. It was one of those times in in my life where I was so frustrated And I don't know if you've ever felt like this. After Jim and I'd walked through this dark, dark valley, every time we would go somewhere, we would get a prophetic word. Now, I appreciate the prophetic word. I am so grateful for it. I saved them. I would rush home, type them out. I have a file that thick. And those prophetic words often said... God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. Well, I kept looking for it, and I couldn't find it. I finally told Jim one day, I said, if one more person prophesies to me that God's got a purpose for my life, I'm going to punch him out because I'm fed up with hearing it, and nothing's happening. I'm just still floundering around. I don't know what to do. Went back to school, got my degree, and in, in a matter of years then, God began to open up some things that I just began to take these little steps. I decided for some reason, I didn't know what door was going to open. I thought, you know, I'm going to get certified as a pastoral counselor. So I started to work on that. Had no idea what door God was going to open, but I just said, Lord, maybe this is it. Maybe this is what I'm going to do. In the middle of all this process, this whole uh, destiny that Jim was talking about, and he was one of those I was ready to punch out because he was always saying, God's got a purpose for you. I mean, God's gifted you. There's something in you. And I just thought, Good grief, if something doesn't happen, I am going to scream. I went for counseling. (laughs) I went to a pastor, and I was just weeping, weeping as I sat down and talked to this pastor. And he said, Peggy, what's going on? And I said, I don't know what my purpose in life is. And don't ever do this if you're a counselor. He threw his head back and laughed. He just laughed and laughed. You don't know what your purpose is? I said, no, I don't. I don't know why I was put here. This is what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, Peggy, you were called to love God and to love people. That's your purpose. And I thought, that's not very profound. 
Now, that wasn't a smart thing to say because Jesus said it was the most profound thing in the whole world. But he kept talking to me. He said, Peggy, your task is going to change from time to time, but that's always your purpose. Sometimes you're going to be preaching, but you're still called to love God and love people. Sometimes you may not be doing anything. You may just be taking care of your home, but you still have a purpose. Your purpose is still to love God and to love people. You may be traveling with your husband on the mission field, but you're still called to love God and love people. We make the purpose of God some elusive thing, something out there that we can't grab hold of, but God's already told us. And I want to pull another saying from Alcoholics Anonymous. They say when you don't know what to do, you do the next right thing. That'll preach, folks. When you don't know what to do, you do the next right thing. I began to view life then in the, through the lens of loving God and loving people. If I was asked to do something, I would do it. It didn't matter what the task was because I knew my purpose was to love God and to love people. Well, fast forward a little bit. I'm, I'm in, in the uh, whole process here of just walking this out. Loving God, loving people, not knowing what's next, not knowing what I'm going to do. And in the church where we are now, very few people knew me. Very few people knew anything about my teaching or preaching ministry or anything. One of the associate pastors came to me and said, Peggy, do you know anything about counseling? And I said, well... I've had some. <laughs> he said, how would you feel about starting a counseling ministry for the church? Starting a counseling ministry for the church? My first thought was, I can't do this. But the thought was pushed back. By the words of Jesus, I will be with you. I started, they put me on part-time at the church, and I was praying, oh God, don't let them find out that I don't know what I'm doing. Don't let them find out that I am scared stiff. People started coming. I would pray every day when I would have a client come in. I'm saying, God, I need to hear from you. Do you know that's the way God wants us to be every day of our lives? Step in it with our knees shaking so much that we're saying, God, help me, help me, help me. And he says, I will certainly be with you. After the first year... They said, uh, I, the counseling load is too heavy for you. I want you to train lay counselors. Me? Train lay counselors? I don't know how. Uh, okay, I'll try. We began a training program for lay counselors. Before we knew it, we had 
15 lay people that were trained and ready to help hurting people. We met at the church every Tuesday night. We waited for people to come. And we were there listening to God, listening to their problems, taking hold of their hand, taking hold of the hand of God, joining them up, and people were being set free from life-controlling problems. I'd never, ever done anything like that in my life. Later, just a few weeks after we get going, with the lay counseling program, they came and said, Peggy, we need to start a recovery ministry. Do you think you could get this going? What's recovery? We want to help addicts and alcoholics, sexual abuse victims. We want to help people with the deepest, most profound kinds of problems. Will you start the ministry? Hmm, I don't know. I'll try. I'll try. Shaking in my boots, we started recovery ministry. The word got out that there was a gray-haired grandma that preached to drug addicts and loved them and helped them. The first night we opened up the ministry, 120 people came in and sat on the chairs to find out, is there hope for me? That night I preached to people that were, some of them weren't uh, completely sober at the time, but they were sitting there and I could see in their eyes, they were saying, is there anybody here that's going to love me? Is there anybody here that's going to help me? Before we knew it, there was a judge in Conroe, Texas that said, I don't know what's happening at that church in that program. But when a drug uh, offender would come in front of him, he would say, you've got a choice of going to jail or going to life care at the Ark Church. And they came, they came, and God was setting people free. A gray-haired grandma that never smoked, never drank, never did drugs, and I'm leading recovery ministry, and God is bringing people in to set them free. Don't say, I can't. Say, God, if you'll go with me, I will give it what I can give it. And that's what God is asking from all of us tonight. Now, let's switch to the New Testament. What is God asking us? What is Jesus asking us in the New Testament to do that is more than our best? What about the kind of life we live. What about Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Anybody here living up to the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't even know what the kingdom of heaven is all about. 
He is calling us to an impossible task to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And our first response often is to say, Lord, I can't. But he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. He says to us, forgive those who trespass against you. But Lord, I can't. I've been wounded too deeply. I've been hurt too deeply. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can. You can do the impossible. You can do what is the most difficult task in all the world because he said he would be with you. Forgive, how many times? How about 70 times seven? John chapter 15. I want you to turn there or uh, find it on your iPhone. I just don't feel like it's preaching until you say, let us turn. And... uh, no, nobody turns anymore. They, they scroll or hit buttons or something. John chapter 15. My marker got lost. So I'm having to hunt it up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There it is. You know, it was so fun, Uh, and uh, Debbie, I'm sure can identify with this, but working with people off the street and teaching them the books of the Bible, wow, that was fun. And them to get the excitement in their eyes when you give a, a book in the Bible, and they say, I found it, I found it. And we would try to get Bibles that were just alike so we could tell them which page to turn to. But I tell you, there is something so exciting about working with people who know they are wounded, who know they are broken, who know they have need of a Savior, and they know that love can heal them, and they're ready to receive. I told you about Sheila. What a wonderful testimony. Let me tell you about it. Lola, a young woman who had been horribly sexually abused. It would be too horrible for me to even describe what she had been through in her young life at the hand of a missionary father. And her whole life was so deeply wounded. For three years, she would come into my office. Uh, It was difficult for me to even lay the Bible on my desk. She would recoil at the sight of the Bible because her missionary father had used the Bible to abuse her. And she would look at that and say, I can't. We prayed, we prayed, I cast out evil spirits. I did everything in one day. One day, the light of God's love shined into her. She began to lay hold. She would take one verse. I would say, just take one verse. I want you to say this one verse. She got to where she would be able to speak that one verse of Scripture without recoiling at it. 
Do you know that I got a text from her the other day? And she said, oh, it is so wonderful to be free. It is so wonderful to have the grace of God at work in my life. She lives in a, uh, an apartment complex where many people over 55, even though she's not that age, they live there. She drives them to the grocery store. She goes to the pharmacy, gets their medicine. She said, this is my ministry because God has set her free. Did I know how to do that? No, I did not know how to do it. But God said, I'll be with you. As I sat there in the counseling chair, it was not my wisdom. It was not my expertise. But it was what I gave to Jesus. And he broke it and he multiplied it and he blessed it. And it was bread for her soul. People all throughout history have been doing impossible things. They have been doing impossible things. People we think in, in such little terms now. And I believe the world and even the church world has pressed us into a way of thinking that unless it's a big splash somewhere, that it's really not important. I, I just spoke to that briefly this morning. The celebrity culture in Christianity has done as much damage as anything because it robs us then of being readily available to God for whatever. Because we want to be the big man or the big woman. We want to be the big name. I had a lady that came to the ministry, came in for counseling, and she said, I want you to pray for me. I believe God has called me to be the next Joyce Meyer. And I want you to pray for me that God will open doors. I said, I tell you what, why don't you come and work with us in recovery? Why don't you come and get some experience? Well, no, I am really called to teach. I don't believe I can do that. She couldn't come and help an addict or a prostitute or an alcoholic, but she was waiting for that big moment when the television cameras were on her. God is waiting for us to say, here I am, Lord, whatever, whenever, wherever, I will do it. Whether I'm seen, whether I'm noticed, whether anybody knows my name. I want to do impossible things for in the kingdom of God with God helping me. But it doesn't have to be for show. It doesn't have to be for, for a big name. Let me tell you, you're going to be a little surprised at this. But mega churches make up only, what? Is it uh, 2 to 5% of churches? So the likelihood of my pastoring a megachurch is slim to none. 
Now, if God tells me, then, I mean, he can even do that. That's a stretch of my faith. But the, the point I am making is let's do the next right thing and see where God will take it. Do the next right thing that you know to do and see where God's going to take it. Carolyn, Carolyn is 80 years old now. She comes to, uh, she came to our counseling ministry. She wanted to be one of our counselors, one of our lay counselors. Said, wonderful, go through the training. She went through all of the training. And then she said, I really believe God wants me to do more. What do you think God wants you to do? She said, well, we get the girls after they get out of jail, after they've been before the judge. She said, I think I'd like to go to the jail and minister to them there. And then they're already saved when they get out and they can just come and join in. Carolyn now, every Friday night, goes to the jail in Conroe, Texas, stands up and preaches the gospel, teaches the word in the women's unit there every week. 80 years old, she is doing impossible things for the kingdom of God. She is touching the lives of people. We have a prayer partner that's 92 years of age. She's our primary intercessor for Mission Catalyst. Let me tell you about her. She's had all kinds of physical problems. But Dolores, some of you might remember the name Dolores Greenway. She worked at uh, uh, headquarters. I'm sorry, I'm behind. I don't know what else to call it. But anyway, at that place, she worked there for a number of years. But Dolores is now 92, and she prays for Jim every trip that he's on. Now, that's nice. That's nice to have somebody who prays. But let me tell you how she does it. She understands that the time is different. She feels like it is important for her to be teaching to be praying at the actual time Jim is teaching. That means she sleeps in the daytime, gets up at night, she sets her timer so she knows the time that Jim is teaching in a conference and she is interceding before God for Jim as he's traveling. She wants every detail of his itinerary, so she prays while he's flying. She prays while he's traveling all through the countries. I believe she probably prays for him more than I do. But she is participating with him in an impossible situation. Most of us would say, well, I don't switch my clock and stay up all night praying for him. But Dolores does because she believes God has given her something to do. And she says, I believe I can do it. I wish you could hear the answers to prayer that are coming because this woman prays.
John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. It is God's will that we bear fruit. Not that we just have activity, but God wants us to bear fruit. What is fruit? What is fruit? Galatians 5.22 tells us the fruit of the Spirit, and it lists those beautiful character qualities. That is one aspect of bearing fruit. And Jesus said, it is my will that you bear fruit. But it's not just being nice, godly people, as wonderful as that is. Fruit is also all of those people that you influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not sermons preached. It is people that you influence with the gospel. Now, if you understand what I just said, that means every one of us can bear fruit. He said if we don't, he's going to prune us so that we will. Maybe that's what Summer Summit is for, to prune us, to stir up something inside us. So I want to influence people for the gospel. I know some of you are sitting there right now. You're thinking, what can I do? I'm just at home all day. How many people in this building own a telephone? How many's got more than one telephone? There's not a one of us that is not able to pick up the phone and give somebody a call and say, I'm praying for you today. I was thinking about you. The Lord brought you to my mind. Any one of us can bear fruit by influencing somebody for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what else to say other than God wants more than your best. He wants the Holy Spirit at work with those gifts that are in you, that we just give it to him. You see why he wants more than my best? Because my best isn't good enough. My best has been tainted by sin. My best, it is subject to uh, influence by bad motives. And all, but he wants 
He wants me to give him what I have. And he will be with me. And he will do what I cannot do myself. So I can't is not a good response. How do you tell God I can't when the Holy Spirit lives inside? I want to ask you again tonight to do what Jim asked you to do this morning. I want you to think. Think right now and ask that question. Lord, what is it that you're asking me to do? And I I know that a lot of times we say, well, I can't do much, but being is far more important than doing. You can't separate the two, people. If you love Jesus with all your heart, you have to obey him. You have to do what he asks you to do. I'm not about to tell you what that is. I'm not here to call anybody to preach or call anybody to the mission field. I am here to stir you up so that you will say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, use me. Here I am, Lord, I can pray, I can give, I can, uh, I don't, if I start doing that, then it's, it's, just going to go on and on, but you can hear God speak to you about what you can do. And even when I say to him, but Lord, I've got some arthritis and it's really kind of hard for me to do this or do that. He doesn't pat me and say, oh, sweet thing, that's all right. That's okay. He says, I'm your healer. Go. And I'll go with you. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask what you will and I will do it. I don't plan to fade away. I don't plan to do that. I want to be useful in the kingdom. Do you? Anybody here with me? You want to be useful to God? Oh, yes, Lord. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Mm. Father, Lord, I don't even know how to, to bring this to a close tonight because I feel like you're talking to some people. You're saying something deep in someone's heart. And I pray, Lord, that they will not just be challenged, but they'll be changed tonight to respond to your word. Will you help us, Lord? Help me. Help me, Lord, to do more than I can do. Help me to be better than what I think I am. Help me, Lord, to work stronger, work harder, and to see people influenced for the kingdom of God. Father, will you help us? Someone told me years ago, hearing the truth challenges us, but doing the truth changes us. 
Some of us have been challenged and challenged and re-challenged and challenged again, and we end up the same. I want you to grab hold of something that God is saying to you out of this summit, out of this message tonight, out of what you heard this morning, what you heard yesterday, and say, yes, Lord, I will obey that. If we don't obey, we will, be, we will end up in deception. Disobedience will always result in deception because then we'll start thinking the same way the world thinks. Well, I'm too old, I'm too tired, I'm too this or I'm too that. But God is wanting to raise up an army. He's wanting an army across the generations. He's wanting to raise up an army of both genders. He's wanting to raise up an army from all economic strata. He's wanting to raise up an army of all different educational levels. And God wants to do the impossible. It's time for us to start thinking in terms of the supernatural and not just being nice, sweet, ordinary believers. But we want to be extraordinary. Father, let it be in the name of Jesus. Let it be in the name of Jesus right now that somebody will lay hold of the call of God in their heart. Whether it's young, whether it's old, whether middle-aged, whatever the circumstance, in Jesus' name, speak to our hearts tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.